Welcome to the Christchurch London podcast. This is a talk from our Stockwell service. To find out about upcoming talks at each of our services, or to listen to other talks, please visit ChristchurchLondon.org. So the talk today is part of the series, uh, Inner Life, which we are running right now. And the headline I have for today is From Lies to Truth. So a friend of a friend of mine in in Denmark had a very unpleasant experience uh, a while back. He was out driving in his car and he was really enjoying himself. Satisfied with where he was in life, uh, watching the scenery floating by, not really a care in the world, and enjoying his relatively new car. Then suddenly, out of the blue, this flashing light came straight into his face, and he was shocked. What had just happened? He checked his speed, and he could say, see that he was way below the speed limit. So then the shock kind of turned into amusement. So what's really going on here? So he, he, he chose to check what was going on. So he turned his car around. He made a U-turn and then he came back and he did the very same thing, drove the same distance, just really, really slow this time. And again, the light went straight into his face. Obviously something was really wrong. So he went back and then he told his neighbor the story and the neighbor was like really intrigued and said, I would like to see that for myself. So he invited his neighbor into the car and they drove back and did the same thing over again. The next week he received three notices in his mail. He was fined three times for driving without a seatbelt. Now just imagining having to tell that story to your spouse. So, um, what was this story really about? Well, it was a story about a guy who had false assumptions. And he had to pay the price for it. He thought that camera with that flashing light was about driving too fast. Well, it wasn't. It was taking something completely different. And when you start to to think about it, we are surrounded by false assumptions. And the story that we're going to read now is a story which is a bit more heavy than the story about the traffic camera. It's a story about a lady who was to a large degree suffering from false assumptions. That is until the point where Jesus steps into the picture and takes her on a journey from lies to truth. It's a rather well-known story, and it's a fairly long one, and we find it in John chapter 4, verse 7. So here it goes. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? The Samaritan woman said to him, You are a Jew, and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God... And who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did also his sons and his livestock? Jesus answered, Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. 
But whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. He told her, Go call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said to her, You're right when you say you have no husband. The fact is, you have had five husbands, and the man you now have is not your husband. What you have just said is quite true. Sir, the woman said, I can see that you are a prophet. Our ancestors worshipped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. Woman, Jesus replied, believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshippers will worship the Father in the Spirit and in truth. For they are the kind of worshippers the Father seeks. God is Spirit, and His worshippers must worship in Spirit and in truth. That is an absolute key sentence. God is spirit and his worshippers must worship in spirit and in truth. The woman said, I know Messiah is coming. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. Then Jesus declared, I, the one speaking to you, I am he. And then a bit further, then leaving her water jaw, the woman went back to the town and said to the people, Come see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? They came out of the town and they made their way toward him. This is a fairly well-known story. It's probably one of the stories that is most preached on throughout Christian history. It's one of the longest conversations. It's actually the longest conversations we have between Jesus and a singular person. And there are many very fascinating aspects to this story. What we will focus on is what is going on beneath this story. And what we will see is that there is actually a frontal attack on false assumptions going on here. This lady, this person had wrong assumptions about herself, about God, and about others, and it had tragic consequences for her and for others as well. In his absolutely brilliant book, Live No Lies, by John Mark Comer, a book which I recommend to everyone, it's absolutely an amazing book, um, he talks about this, and he's quite inspired by the philosopher Dallas Villard. And he talks about how our lives are governed by mental maps that are made up of a collection of ideas. And these ideas, he says, are our assumptions about reality. So what do we assume about reality? So he says we have these assumptions about everything important in our lives. So we have ideas about justice, we have ideas about love, about God, about knowledge, about happiness, and 
basically all important things we have ideas or assumptions about these things. And they control how we judge life and how we experience life. Dallas Villard said that we truly live at the mercy of our ideas. So this is quite important stuff, actually. And I think most of us will, would intuitively agree about that. Well, that is quite important stuff. It basically decides how I thrive in this life. To what degree I thrive or whether I thrive or not. And the fact is that we are surrounded by lies that leads us to false assumptions about reality. At least that would be my claim today. So where does that claim come from? Well, if God is our creator, if we are created in his image, if the Bible is God's way of communicating reality to us, then everything contradicting what he says would be false assumptions. Is that correct? Or do we need to think more about that one? If God is who he says he is, if the Bible, his word, is what it claims to be, then everything contradicting would actually be a lie. And lies leads to false assumptions. So, many of these false assumptions that surround us, the lies that surround us, would be lies about what constitute happiness. Because the basic thing for all human beings is that we are looking for happiness in different ways, but we are looking for it. So what would those lies be? Well, back in the 60s, 1960s, which very few of us remember, I was born in the 1960s, so I actually don't remember them. But anyways, it's fairly well known that the big kind of revelation back then was that you need to live out your sexual desires, whatever and whenever and with whoever. That is the road to freedom and that is the road to happiness. Now, was that a correct assumption? Was that a correct statement? Well, happiness research has actually shown that since that time, the degree of happiness has declined ever since. So you don't have to look to the Bible. You can actually look to happiness research and it will just show you a decline. Obviously, that didn't bring happiness to the Western world. Winning the lottery, what about that one? I love the lottery ads. Lying there on the beach, just listening to the water with a nice drink in your hand and not a care in the world. It does look pretty nice, doesn't it? So, what does happiness research tell us? Well, it actually tells us that two years after the incident, after you won the lottery, you are back at the exact same level of happiness that you were at before you won the lottery. I find that quite interesting, don't you? Being on the property ladder. That's one that I've heard a lot since coming here to, to London. That's a big thing here, isn't it? Well... Meta and I, we are not on the property ladder, and somehow we hadn't really been struck by the lightning or anything else uh, at this point. We seem to survive. Great holidays. 
Hence, our need to post them on Instagram because what is the next worst thing from not being happy? Well, it's other people assuming that we are not. So we make sure to post the right stuff up there so they kind of know we are happy, we are all right. Success at work, wealth, a partner, a family, moving to the countryside, bigger house and the lawn the size of a park. Well, that's one of the good old London tales, isn't it? We have all of these things. All of these are assumptions about what makes us happy. So what does Jesus say? Well, he says that it's not those who have who are happy. He says it's those who are. They are the happy ones. There's such a huge difference between what the culture tells us about what happiness, what constitutes happiness, and then what Jesus says. He says, it's those who are poor in the spirit. Those who dare to be without something, to find something greater, to find something bigger. Those who dare to say no to a, an immediate desire to reach a higher goal in life. C.S. Lewis says, said it like this. He said, it would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. We are far too easily pleased. This was his cheeky way of saying it. In other words, we suffice with a drink of water from the well instead of going for the living water. That's basically what he says. Jesus says it's those who are poor in the spirit, who dares to be without. It's those who are mourning. Why? Because they are sharing the heart of God himself. It's those who are meek, those who are merciful, those who are hungering for justice, those who are pure in heart, it's those who are peacemakers, those who are persecuted, Jesus says. He says, these people who are these things, they are blessed. And the Greek word used in the New Testament actually means happy as the gods, or seven times happy, or to experience perfect happiness. So that is how Jesus describes it, very differently from what we experience in our culture. So we are surrounded by false assumptions. We are surrounded by lies coming straight up from our culture. So they come at us from outside. But we also have something coming from within, through the way we have been brought up, through the th experiences that we carry with us in life. Assumptions that come from imperfect parents or siblings or teachers or uncles and what have you. They come from he who hurt us at the most vulnerable moment in our lives. It comes from she who was supposed to care but cared more for herself. From them who was supposed to role model purity but failed to do so. And on and on 
it goes. So some of us would have the experience of being the victims of things like this, and it has created false assumptions about ourselves as a consequence. So here we are. On the 10th of July, in this room, today, with our lives. And here comes the annoying question. To which degree do the false assumptions control yours and my life today? Now, the answer to that question is often found in an answer to a different question which is, what do we believe about ourselves? So if I handed you the microphone, and some of you have immediately anxiety at this moment. If I handed you the microphone and said, so what do you think about yourself? What would your answer be? Honestly, if I sat there in your shoe, I would say, I don't know. <laughs> Give me some time to think about this. But let's think together for a moment. What do we think about ourselves? That I am lovable, likable, interesting, attractive, valuable, worthy. Now, why these descriptions? Well, because basically these descriptions would be an accurate summary of what God says about the reality of us. So if God is to describe the reality of us, this is what we find in the Bible. This is what is said about us. So if my answer to any of these descriptions is, no, I don't really believe so then I am actually being controlled by a false assumption about myself and as a consequence, a false assumption about God. If, on the other hand, I identify with these words, if I kind of check the box and say, yes, 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 likable, attractive, interesting, valuable, worthy, then they become my inner roadmap in terms of how I relate to myself. So how do I think about myself? What do I say to myself when I speak to myself? How could John the Baptist that we read about in the New Testament say that he must become greater? He said this about Jesus. And I must become less. These are really strong words. He must become greater and I must become less. How could he say such a thing? Well, probably because he had correct assumptions about God and of himself. Now, if we don't have this assumption, our prayers will be different. I know this from my very own experience. Then my prayers would more circulate around God, couldn't you find a way of making me greater? There are all sorts of variations of that prayer. When we have correct assumptions about ourselves, we love being small. And we love to become even smaller 
while God and other people around us grow and become bigger. It's a very different sort of life. Worthy, attractive, lovable, likable, worthy. These were definitely not things that this Samaritan woman identified this, and Jesus knew that. So what we are witnessing in this story of the Samaritan woman is divine truth therapy. She said, you are a Jew, and I am a Samaritan. And implicitly, she, she said, and never the two shall meet. Now think about how wrong she was about that. Because we know the full story. We just read the full story. So we know she was wrong about this. Then on the other hand, she was also right, wasn't she? I mean, Jesus was a Jew. And she was a Samaritan woman. But this was only a fragment of the truth about both Jesus and her. And I shouldn't teach you this, but I do anyways. If you want to know what any cunning lie is made of, well, this is what it is made of. You take a fragment of the truth, and then you make it into the full truth. That is how you lie. So if you said to me, Lars, I have done bad things. I know this comes as a shock to you. Then I would say, sorry, it doesn't come as a shock to me. I know you have. Because everyone in this room have. It's called being a human being, right? But if you came to me and said, Lars, I want you to know that I am a bad person. Then I would say to you, I'm very sorry. You are suffering from a false assumption about yourself. Do you hear the difference? There's a huge difference between the two. And yet what happens in here and in here with our lives again and again and again is, well, we did the bad thing. And then what we are being told from the inside is, now I am a bad person. There is much more to you than the bad thing that you have done. You are, I am, she said, this woman. And this is really the relational axis that our lives essentially are centered around. And therefore, it's extremely important for us to be growing in the truth of our relationships. Our relationship with God, but also with ourselves. And consequently, with others as well. Now, this is what Jesus now engages with, helping this woman and helping us as well. So the question now is, will we allow him to engage with us as he engaged with this Samaritan woman? Why don't we just for a moment allow ourselves to almost go back to this story and be in the story with her, listening to the words of Jesus. As if they were words spoken directly into our hearts. Just imagine for a moment, use the imag imagination that you were created with, that Jesus stands right in front of you or sits next to you and he speaks to you and he speaks to me about our lives, about him and us for a moment. 
where he engages with truth in us. If you knew the gift of God, he says, you would ask me for a drink. You would ask me for living water. If you knew, if you knew the truth of who I am, you would respond differently. All you seem to hear is my ask of you for the drink. Either you don't know about the gift of life I have for you, or you don't regard yourself fully worthy of that gift. All you hear is another demand on your attention, another one that you need to give service to, another duty placed upon a pile of other duties, another reason to feel constantly inadequate and not living up to expectations. But if you knew, Jesus said, if you knew who I am, you would ask me. You would ask and you would know what to ask. You would ask because you know me enough to know that I am the source of everything good. That I am the giver of life. That I am the meaning behind anything meaningful. You would ask because you would know that the greatest gift of them all is what I am about to give to you. It doesn't detract anything good from your life. It only adds things that are good. You would ask because you know me enough to know that I love to give. It's in my nature. It's my natural response to prayer, my natural response to any healthy need in your life. Remember the words of Jesus. He said, you shall know the truth, and the truth shall set you free. This is what Jesus is engaging with in this woman and in our lives. This is what he talks about. This is a true concept of life and of freedom. It's not found in circumstances of life. It's found in knowing him enough to boldly ask for and long for more of him. And just notice how Jesus allows this woman and consequently us for a slow walk towards the truth about him. He's not impatient. He leads her patiently towards truth. And she got there in the end. We hear it in this statement. She says, I know that Christ is coming. Just listen to her words. I know. <laughs> and what had Jesus been saying? He said, if you remain in me and in my words, you shall know the truth. And now we hear it coming out of this lady. I know that Christ is coming, and I know that I will recognize him because he will explain every, everything to us implicitly, just as you have done right now, Jesus. And Jesus agrees with a deep sense of joy. And that's when he declares, I who speak to you am he. Just think of the journey uh, that this lady had been on. From you are a Jew and I am a Samaritan woman. There's a lot of distance between us. To this point where she's receiving the living water, which is the spirit of Jesus Christ himself, the Holy Spirit. 
And through that spirit, they are fully united, as united as you can become. From distance to that kind of intimacy. Now, what did the journey entail? It entailed the same thing for her as it does for us. If we find ourselves in a situation where we know that we are governed by false assumptions about God and ourselves and others, what she needed is exactly what we need, what you and I need today. And to some degree, I suspect we all do. Well, it takes new knowledge of who Jesus is. Or for some of us, renewed knowledge of who Jesus is. Her false assumption about Jesus needed to change. She needed to see Jesus as the one capable, willing to give her his very own spirit, the living water. And she needed to see that God the Father didn't care much about correct forms of worship or religious duty or what have you. That he was way more preoccupied with the heart of worship. She needed to know that she was seen, understood, heard and loved before she had even given Jesus a sip of water. And then there was one more thing. She needed to face herself in the company of Jesus. It wasn't enough for her to know the truth about him. Jesus went on in the conversation to help her see the truth about herself. She wasn't just any normal Samaritan woman. We know that from the text. We don't know whether she was a victim of others or whether she was a victim of her own bad decisions or whether it was a combination of the two. Normally, it's a combination of the two, isn't it? Now, she had denied it for a while. So this was why she came to the well at this particular time, avoiding to bump into anyone who might reject her. And this was why she cunningly avoided Jesus' question when he asked her to go and get her husband. She thought people were judging her. And maybe they were, to a degree. We don't know that. At least we know she thought that. But they didn't do it to the degree that she thought. That much is sure. Because when she came back to the village, they listened to her. They heard her story. And when she encouraged them to go and visit that guy at the well, well, they did what she proposed for them to do. What does that mean? It, mean? it means that she had false assumptions, not only about God and herself, but also about others. They were healed in the process. As her view of God changed, her view of herself changed, and as a consequence, her, her view of other people changed, and she dared to address them directly. Now, her testimony is a peculiar one, isn't it? Come and see a guy who has told me the truth about me. I don't know about you, but if I heard that testimony, I would say, which direction? Is he in that direction? Well, let me run in the other one, <laughs> right? What kind of testimony is this? What kind of story? When was that ever a good story? Well, it is an amazing story. Why? Because when I stand next to the one who has the living water, it's great news to realize that my bucket is empty. My attempts have failed. 
There's plenty of room for him. Let him become greater and let me become less. More of his stuff, less of mine. More of his ideas, less of mine. More of his way, less of mine. More of him, less of me. Did that Samaritan woman lose herself? Yes, I think she did. Will I lose myself if I follow in her footstep? Yes, I believe I will. Did she find herself? Yes, I believe she did that too. And I think you and I will as well. We come back to the heart of him who created us. Basically, we come back to the heart of worship. The worshipers must worship in spirit and in truth. Truth about God, truth about ourselves, truth about this world that we are living in. Can I have the band come up, please? The Bible says that Jesus came with grace and truth. And this story is just an amazing example of this. Jesus really pouring grace over this woman and by doing so also leading her into truth. Now, grace without truth really isn't grace at all. And truth without grace isn't really truth. Always remember that. If you experience truth without grace, it's not truth. And if you're the victim of grace without truth, well, it's not really grace. It has to be both. And it has to be grace first. Jesus came with grace and truth. This was her story. How about yours and mine? Is it time for us to let Jesus take us on this journey? For some of us, maybe again. For some of us, maybe renewed. For some of us, a big cleanup, perhaps. For some of us, an adjustment of things going on in our lives. For some of us, it may be that it's grace time. There's too much truth and too little grace in our thinking of ourselves and in our thinking of the world. And we may need to encounter grace more than anything. For some of us, it may be more of a truth time that we need to face truth about God and ourselves in a renewed way. Let's stand and pray. Father, I thank you for this moment. Thank you that you are the God of grace and truth. You are fully capable of being both in this moment, right here, to us, with us. And Holy Spirit, for those of us who have a longing for you, I pray that you would come today. Would you fill our hearts? Would you fill everything within us? Holy Spirit, would you come? Spirit of grace, would you come? Spirit of truth, would you come?
time now of just first a little bit of worship and then uh, I will lead us into communion. And it's a precious time. Sometimes it's hard for us to give up on false assumptions because they have become our way of navigating in this life. And if that's you, you may feel uh, actually a sense of resistance in your body. It's like, I know this is for me, but I don't want it to be for me. I want to be okay, and I don't want to find out that I'm not. For some of us, it's a sense of our security being threatened. On the one hand, we feel that relating to God and ourselves may sound promising to do that in a different way in a way marked with grace and truth but it's also a bit threatening because it's unknown territory and it's less controllable but Holy Spirit for those of us who stand here with a longing would you have mercy on us you work in the depths of our hearts even in the longing for the longing Holy Spirit I pray would you help us overcome any resistance and just give in to your presence your freeing work amongst us we love you, we thank you and we honor you let's praise him